Hello and welcome to day one of my last order podcast Glastonbury special. Typical, the weather is glorious when we can't attend Glastonbury, but we will just have to make the most of it. Pop up your tent and pretend that you're there. The short Glastonbury special episodes aim to chat to the people who, without them, Glastonbury just wouldn't be the same. Disclaimer, I've never been lucky enough to grab a ticket for Glastonbury, but I watch it every year from the comfort of my front rooms. So let's get the festival started. In today's episode, we are chatting to Reese Buchanan, who, alongside being a music journalist and devoted Glastonbury attender, he is also on the judging panel for Glastonbury Emerging Talent Competition, which welcomes thousands of applicants each year, with the winner being able to perform live at Glastonbury. You finally got through the gates, pitched your tent up, so let's head off to discover what makes Glastonbury Emerging Talent Competition such a fun thing to be part of. joined by Reese Buchanan and you're part of the Glastonbury Emerging Talent Competition. Yeah I've been involved in that for quite some time, um, many years now actually. It's always good, really good fun. I help sort of process and judge the initial batch of entries along with bloggers and judges from across the UK and then there's always a live final in Pilton um, in April before the festival which is always really fun and an amazing way to sort of be exposed to such a diverse batch of acts and then ultimately whoever sort of wins that will go on to sort of play the festival each year um, and they're still going ahead of it this year despite the festival sort of as you said not going ahead which is really exciting great news really. So what actually is it for people who you know they might be listening to this and they've already got ideas in their head that it's targeted to, I don't know, one genre of music or they've never heard of it before. What is, like, the reason behind having this competition? It's basically to offer unsigned acts a chance to sort of play the festival, really. And, you know, it's not sort of tied to a specific genre. Anyone from the UK and Ireland can enter, you know, whether you've sort of just played pub gigs or if you, you've just put your first demo online. It, it caters to everyone and we've seen so such a like incredible array of talent in the last few years and it's been a launch pad for artists like De- Declan McKenna, Shay Lingo, um, Izzy Bizu, who they're all doing amazing things and you know it's been pivotal to their trajectory as well which is brilliant really but I'd encourage anyone to enter um, you know there's no limitations or anything like that you you know and a lot of people actually surprise themselves that they sort of get that far I've been speaking to a few of the people that I put through and they're just you know they sort of, a lot of people just enter without many expectations or just sort of as a throwaway thing like thinking I'll never play Glastonbury but you know it's, it's surprising how far it can actually take people. Yeah because what is like the the process of judging these like musicians because I imagine you do get a lot of people applying. Yeah so basically I get sort of a big list of initial entries to get through and they're they're basically just a SoundCloud link and a live video that each act sort of has to submit as part of the process and all of the other sort of blogger judges will get that as well 
And then from about those, which usually are a few hundred, um, they'll put through a final three. So that's that's sort of how we... And then they go to the a long list of 120 acts uh, that then a team at Worthy Farm whittle down to a final eight who go to the live final. Um, and then obviously that that takes place every year at Pilton, but obviously it's being omitted this year because of the current pandemic. So it's a bit like the X Factor, but a lot more cooler. <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's such a good process and it's a real privilege to be a part of it. And I sort of got involved in it quite organically. I was I basically grew up near Glastonbury um, and sort of just did a live review of the final for a local website. Um, and the, the team at the festival picked up on the review and shared it and then the next year I was invited to be a judge, which is amazing, really. Yeah, that's a really, like, interesting way of getting into it. I didn't know that that's how, like, they, they picked people to, to judge. That's really interesting. Yeah, well, I think more traditionally it's just sort of established and esteemed bloggers from around the country and music journalists. And then, but yeah, obviously I sort of got involved in quite a sort of unusual sort of way, I guess. Yeah. And what's been the highlight for you being part of the competition? Oh God, that's so that's so tricky to say. I mean, I've just got great memories of the live finals every year. You know, it takes place in Pilton. There's always sort of a like a real tense sort of vibe in the air, but it's so, so exciting as well. Um, and a few of mine have actually gone on to sort of play at the festival as well um, over the years, which is always really rewarding, especially when an act you've selected sort of makes it through to the final. You almost sort of are rooting for, for them to sort of go the whole way in a sense. There's probably that sense of pride as well, just seeing them on stage and knowing you help them get there as well. Yeah, it's such a rewarding process to be a part of year on year. And I'm so grateful to, to be allowed to do this because, you know, not everyone sort of gets to be involved with Glastonbury in that sort of capacity. So, yeah, it's really, really rewarding and exciting. And what's been one act that stood out for you or one that you can, you'll always remember? I'd say probably Declan McKenna was, was the one that sort of really stopped me in my tracks at the live final. But, you know, there's so many diverse sort of bands and even the ones that sort of don't make it through sort of to to win the process they often end up playing the festival anyway so um I always make it sort of a point to to try and track them down on the on the sort of weekend of Glastonbury and whether that's in a little tent um last year Swimming Girls um, made it to the final and that was a good one to see um, cause they're sort of a Bristol band. And what would you say to someone who's listening to this now and they're a musician and they're thinking they want to take part? What would you say to them? Would it be just go and do it because you've got nothing to lose? Yeah, I mean, there's literally the only the only basic ingredients you need are just a track for submission and evidence that you can play live. So whether that's in your bedroom or whether that's sort of, you know, playing a sold out show at your lo- local venue you know I'd, I'd encourage anyone to to apply because you know even if you just sort of it's your first track and you're just testing the water you know it will get heard by you know a professional like music journalist 
as part of the process anyway, so there's really nothing to lose. And obviously, Glastonbury, like you said, it's not happening this year. How are you going to spend in this time? Because I've never been, but I've been sort of a person who I will watch it every day on the TV. I sort of try and have my own mini Glastonbury in my garden. So how are you spending your time now? I'm really excited about all the BBC coverage that they've got lined up. And funnily enough, listening to this, and knowing I was sort of going to be doing this chat with you, I sort of dug back into an old Glastonbury film that I love um, last night, which is a Julian Temple film. And it just captures it so brilliantly. And I, I sort of do that building up to the festival every year anyway, delving into sort of old sets and sort of moments and memories that sort of, you know, last weekend I was watching The Prodigy set in 2009, which was sort of really like brought back so many memories for me because it was like so, such a part of my college years and that set on the other stage um, was just unbelievable it was definitely one of my sort of favorite Glastonbury sets of all time because so. that's it about Glastonbury even if you're someone who like you have you watch it at home you still come across musicians and and I know it sounds um, like really random but I remember watching Jake Bug. Um, do like I th- it might have even been like BBC introducing or a smaller stage and I remember seeing him on like iPlayer or Red Button and it was through that that I got into his music and even though like I don't listen to his music that much now I remember at the time it was like I felt really cool because I'd come across someone who I'd never heard before and he just sounded amazing in like a festival environment and I think it's like amazing that even if it's on the TV, they still manage to sort of pick up on that festival environment, which is what I love about Glastonbury so much. Yeah, and I think the BBC coverage is so exciting and so diverse and it really sort of does capture it so well. Like they go into all the sort of weird and wonderful areas away from the music as well, um, which is brilliant. Like I also sort of sometimes help out um, in the press tent as a volunteer every year at the festival. And it's always like exciting to sort of come like hear all of these journalists, the areas and where they've been to and what they've been exploring. It's quite fun as well. But yeah, I think the TV coverage does sort of really capture that. And, you know, it has been pivotal for so many artists. I remember like a, a rainy sort of afternoon set this uh, Christine and the Queens was going to be playing and I sort of didn't was unaware completely unaware of her music at the time and just came on and just absolutely smashed it with that crazy set you know and everyone was just like completely like in awe of it and I think that was a real breakthrough moment for her as well so and you know it's probably to people watching at home on TV as well you know yeah because last year I was working um when Glastonbury was on I remember having idols set um they were playing like in the middle of the day so I had it on the TV and I was just like glancing over and it was mesmerizing to watch them on the TV and that's that's how I got into their music as well so it's it's I know there's a few people who've actually said idols set at Glastonbury was what got them into the music and before they'd like never heard of them or they'd not thought to like listen to the music but watching them perform it was absolutely amazing and I was so jealous that I knew people in the crowd who were watching them and I was gutted that like I wasn't there with them. Yeah that was a real victory for the band and 
music as a whole, I think. Like that platform, like on the park stage, allowing them to sort of drive their message home to it was almost the culmination of all of their hard work and a moment that I'm sure the band will remember for the rest of their lives. Because I actually went to um, a Q&A with Joe Talbot and someone in the audience said, like, I remember watching you at Glastonbury and he said, loads of people say that. They say, like, that was one of the, like, the moment that they'll always remember. So it's it's good to know, like, the BBC support putting loads of different musicians on the TV. It's not just that you get to see the headline act. Yeah, and funnily enough, I was actually uh, working in the press tent um, while that set was going on. Um, so I was unable to make that one. And I had my mum texting me through like, oh, it's so emotional, it's crazy. Because we've sort of followed them from their early days. And my mum's a fan as well. Like she went to see them in Glastonbury, a play a pub in Glastonbury. Um, so I was sort of like, oh, like, God, I can't sort of be there. But then I managed to go. They played at like one in the morning, I think, in the southeast course corner on in Shangri-La, I think. And that was just a completely, he said, Joe said, um, earlier was the most beautiful moment of our life. And this is the most sort of disgusting moment of our life because it was the real sort of party where they, I think they blew off all of that sort of steam in a sense. Yeah. What is it about Glastonbury that you love so much and makes it different to the thousands of festivals out there? I think anyone, you know, if you go, if you're lucky enough to get a ticket for Glastonbury, I think it's everyone instantly sort of knows there's something different about it it's the setting the scenery like the valley like looking getting up to the sort of top of the festival and cracking open like a nice sort of beer and just looking over it it's such a sort of special festival but obviously the diversity like there's hundreds of stages and it's so much it's cliche to say it but it's so much more than the music and uh also growing up sort of near it, it's sort of got that sort of, you know, semblance of home for me as well. Um, I wasn't obviously lucky enough to go to the festival as a kid um, too often. I went in 2002, where it was sort of a very different sort of place. And I just have sort of vague memories of that one, getting lost and stuff like that. And it was all crazy, but even sort of when you're not at the festival, just the excitement around the area and the supermarkets being busy and the traffic being crazy, you sort of really latch on to growing up in that sort of environment. It's really exciting. Because I suppose, like, a few people will, if they live near places where festivals are, like I live not too far from where park life is usually on people will be the opposite they'll be complaining saying oh the supermarkets are too busy and there's people walking in with muddy boots on and everywhere's busy the traffic's busy but it's nice to hear that some people see that as a positive and it's nice to bring loads of people together I think even if sort of the local community have a bit of a grumble every now and again I think it's still like you know I think they deep down they sort of do like the excitement and the attention you know it is having sort of the world's best and biggest sort of festival sort of on your doorstep and I like I like that sort of Mike Levis has got that story of sort of having that sort of ongoing battle with the local authorities from the 80s you know and the community there's some really great uh, moments in that film I was 
um, watching last night where the the residents are sort of you know saying quite obscene things about the hippies turning up and some of the smells and sights and stuff like that it's quite vivid stuff well when it's park life it's <laughs> usually just everywhere seems to get covered with glitter like the trams because usually you have to get the public transport to Heaton Park because the roads are just a mess but usually it's like the trams they get covered with glitter and I think the people who go to Parklife they all bring like nice perfume and it's a festival where they tend to get dressed up so the smell isn't bad it's just everywhere gets covered with glitter and even if you're not going to the festival you'll end up getting glitter on your clothes it's mad (laughs) yeah I've never been to that one but yeah I can imagine it's still quite exciting I sort of grew up in like went to university in Bristol and uh, Love Saves the Day was a similar sort of thing with you know glitter everywhere and sort of the sort of city centre becomes like a bit of a party as well as the festival which is quite exciting. So now would be where usually I'd ask for your favourite place, drink, snack and jukebox song but we're just going to go with favourite place because whenever I've been to a festival the drinks have always been not too nice or they've been warm or ridiculously overpriced and then the food isn't great. So maybe Glastonbury is different. I imagine that they've got a lot more things going on than the festivals I've been to. But we will go with your favourite place in Glastonbury because I didn't realise until I got a lot older that Glastonbury is massive. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a huge site. Yeah. So what would be your favourite place on the site? So my favourite place um, is an obvious one for me for so many reasons. It, it would have to be Strummerville, which is obviously an area sort of celebrating the legacy of uh, Joe Strummer from The Clash. But the site itself is just such a beautiful area and I'm sure there's nothing else like it in the world. It is sort of housed in this sort of wooded area right up the top of a steep hill um, at the top of the festival near the Stone Circle. And there's always a campfire burning for 24 hours and sort of old sofas sort of that are super comfy, sort of, you know, placed nicely around it. And then there's a stage, a small stage where, you know, it's such a good sort of variety of artists sort of play on there you know, famous and sort of, you know, not. And, but beyond that, it's this sort of like view, like the the trees sort of frame this view of um, the festival, like so perfectly, it's like almost hard to sort of comprehend how like serene the whole thing is. And it's always one of the first things on my list to do when I arrive at the festival is crack open a cider at the top in Strummerville. And I think it just really does capture the legacy. Obviously, Joe was a great sort of friend uh, of the festival and it really does sort of channel his sort of spirit and energy and uh, all of his values and what he stood for. Um, so, yeah, it will without doubt be strong. And I've had some great moments there, like whether that's seeing Craig Charles DJ um, there or trying to get into one of the many sort of amazing secret sets that are there over the years. But yeah, such a special place and without a doubt, my favourite Glastonbury location. 
And you mentioned, like, there have been secret sets on the hill. Has there been anyone who you've seen who you've been, like, mesmerised by realising that they were doing a set there? I just remember being really drunk and getting on stage with Craig Charles with a disposable camera and <laughs> I got a really good photo of him, but he was doing this amazing mix of um, James Brown mixed in with um, the White Stripes, Seven Nation Army, and the whole area was just going mental like just going crazy it was fun like just unreal and obviously like frank turner was a really good um set when he played there as well hard to sort of you couldn't really get anywhere near it to be honest but you know it's funny that you mention the seven nations army because even like the white stripes are nowhere near the festival even if it's like a festival where they wouldn't have that sort of music people are always chanting that song and that if I hear that, I automatically think of being at a festival. Yeah, it's so funny because the White Stripes, I think they played that really famous set on the pyramids. Um, the first year I went to Glastonbury as like a kid and my dad didn't take me to see them. We went to see like Rod Stewart was headlining instead, which I'm not sure would happen again. But <laughs> um, I always sort of like read that, like, why didn't I go and see the White Stripes do that? do that awesome sex they did that really famous cover of um, Jolene as well and one I love watching back as well. So speaking of performances what has been like your favourite performance that you've heard at the festival or a song that sort of stands out and you hear it anywhere and you just think back to being at Glastonbury? This is such a tricky question because obviously as we sort of mentioned you know it's a lot it's, I've had so many amazing like life-affirming experiences at Glastonbury, um, musically and sort of beyond that, whether that was sort of New Order, um, Bruce Springsteen. Um, I've seen so many like incredible sets over the years. Um, but one for me was... So, yeah, I would probably pick um, Lucky by Radiohead. And just because of the sort of mythology that is attached to their set, in 1997 um, I would have been free and I've watched this set so many times um, and it, I just sort of am captivated by this idea that this like legendary sort of moment in music was taking a place um, a town away from me essentially and I just was completely oblivious to it as a little kid but that moment just seems to be like capture the whole spirit of it when they play that song and it's it's just so powerful like the rain's pouring down uh the, the band sort of don't have any production or anything like that and it's just such a raw and beautiful moment um and then luckily in 2017 the band headlined the festival again and I was able to sort of be there for that. And they played the same song. So that was a moment where it all really came together for me. Yeah, because that would have been like 20 years on. Yeah, so they're actually celebrating the 20th anniversary of OK Computer, which the um, which Lucky is on. So, yeah, it was a, like it was one of those moments because I was just praying that they played that song and... They did, and it was amazing. <laughs> like you say, like, you were able to watch back the performance that you wouldn't have been old enough to go to. And I, I think that's the good thing about the BBC's putting, like, a lot of performances on. They mentioned that they're putting 
David Bowie's set on, which has never been put on the TV before. Yeah, that's incredible as well. Um, they released that actually, I think last year or the year before. Um, the whole sort of set, like on vinyl as an album, which is amazing. I've also got another sort of track that sort of captures Glastonbury for me or the essence of it sort of away from that sort of song. Um, and that is one that I have no sort of experience with at the festival whatsoever. Um, but it's called Stop That Train by like a DJ sort of reggae du duo from the, the 80s um, called Clint Eastwood and General Saint. And it's sort of an introduction to that film that I was I mentioned earlier by Julian Temple and it just sort of captures all the excitement and the energy and the spirit of the festival you know and everything it sort of stands for um, so I'd really recommend people go and listen to that and think of Glastonbury uh, this year. <laughs> yeah because that's the thing like you've picked like Radiohead and then a song which probably sounds nothing like Radiohead, which is like the beautiful thing of Glastonbury is that it showcases so many different genres and so many different musicians and poets and even they have like children's stages and things like that. That's why I'm so gutted that I've not been and I probably won't be able to go next year, but can try again the year after. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, you know, hopefully you can get down there at some point because, you know, it, it is, um, there's nothing like it really. It's so special. I've been Reese, and you've been listening to the Glastonbury special of the My Last Order podcast and you can find out more about the Glastonbury Festival Emerging Talent Competition over at the Glastonbury website. I hope you've enjoyed listening and if you are a musician, I hope it's inspired you to apply next year. Who knows, you could be headlining the Pyramid stage in a few years' time. So head off back to your tent, get some well-deserved rest. We know that's not going to happen. It's Glastonbury, you're here to party. And join me for tomorrow's episode when we chat to Mike Green, who's Oxfam's Head of Festivals and Events, as we chat about all the things Oxfam does with Glastonbury. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and of course share this with your friends. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day and I look forward to you joining me again tomorrow for another Glastonbury special. Music